You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 22. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast, dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, folks, so welcome back to another episode of Touch of Flavor. Cassie got a bunch of questions sent in from a polycule asking for tips on how to handle group poly or you may call it community poly situations. So we brought our partner Amanda back in the studio. We rounded up some other questions that had come in through our Q&A forms on the topic of group poly, and we're doing an entire episode on the topic today. So some of the questions we're going to be addressing are how to divide time and attention, tips on adding a new partner to a group, navigating conflicts in a group situation, advice on finding a unicorn or dragon, and more. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, and you can check out the show notes at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 022. So we've just had a bunch of holidays and stuff. Uh, December and January finally came around. We've gone through New Year's and Christmas and whatever other holidays, you know, everybody else is uh, celebrating. Yeah, so we had gotten uh, some questions. We'll talk a little bit about how we got those in a minute. But the short version is, is that for the second time, Amanda is back on the podcast today. Hi. Amanda, do you want to play a game? Not really. No. Is it going to be that uh, 10 question thing again? Because no. that was, no, that was ridiculous. That you, I mean, I would hope your answers wouldn't have changed that much. There's only been a couple of months. Well, it depends on the questions. Did you give more questions? No, they're the same question. No. But we did just go through the holidays a little bit now because this is a second episode that we're putting out after the New Year's. But everybody's here today and we can talk a little bit about what we did poly-wise as like a poly family Christmas dealio. We did a lot of shopping. I'll say that. That's the first thing. I did not. Thank God I do all my shopping on Amazon now. I didn't shop anywhere else. Most of our, our shopping was online altogether. Most of it. I think I went to like three stores. This year, which is a lot less than usual. I went to, um, when I got your sweater, that was the uh, biggest um, shopping trip that I did. I went to get a sweater and it turns out they didn't take the tag off of it. So you couldn't wear it for like a week and a half. Oh, you did get the tag off. She had, they had left one of those like exploding ink tags on the shirt. You did get it off. Yes. Yeah. I took it back in. And when I went through the door, it started beeping and everyone kind of started freaking out. And I was like, it's me. It's me. It's okay. I'm coming back in with it, not out with it. Yeah. But we, we get a lot of questions about how we handle like holidays as, as a group. Uh, and the answer is generally we try and do a lot of stuff together, which with depending on where everybody's at with their families it results in, in certain things. So like this year um, I went down with my siblings, but we, we had like a sibling thing a couple weeks before where Cassie and Amanda and I went down with most of my many siblings, not all, but most of my many siblings. And that was actually a blast to get to see them outside the groupings of uh, 
the adults, well, I guess they're all adults now, but. Outside of your parents is what you're really saying. And it was cool because we did like the uh, white elephant and exchanged presents. And Cassie gave 50 shades of gray and I felt so bad. I took it so that my, my sibling wouldn't have to take that horrendous book. It was a joke. It's a white elephant. That's what you're supposed to do is have fun with it. Uh, and then, so we, and we actually spent Christmas at, uh, Cassie's parents. So Cassie's parents are kind of the cool ones out of the group of us. Uh, so I was actually off and we went and we went to Cassie's parents and we did presents and we ate food and we all have been presents together and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And my grandfather joined us with his partner as well. So it was, it was nice. And it was like the first Christmas where I didn't cook a lot. So that was weird for me because I'm usually the cooker of all the things, but my parents handled 90% of it. But we had a lot of fun. I just finally actually got around to seeing my, my, I don't see my family much around the holidays because they don't like the whole poly thing. And I refuse to ditch partners on Christmas. So I actually just got around to seeing them like what yesterday, two days ago, two days ago being now like the f- second week of January when we're recording this episode. One of the things that we do a lot is we do like group presents. So like Amanda and I will buy Rigel a present or Rigel and Amanda will buy me a present. And this year we all chipped in along with some of our other family members to get a kid, the, the kid, um, a uh, computer. Yeah, so man Cub got a laptop, which apparently you need for high school now. So he's in good shape. Every adult in his life from all of his parents to his grandparents to his great grandparents to everybody kicked in. That was fun. Then we had the New Year's party, which Amanda and Cassie mostly ran because I don't I don't get too involved with the events anymore other than the day of. I was running around like crazy. I always am. But I also got syrup on my face. So Oh my God. Oh, I forgot. You have to tell that story. Uh, I, I missed it too. So I actually don't know what happened entirely. Well, Let's start from the end. When I said, Rigel, I've got syrup on my face. And he came up and licked the side of my face. And that was... Uh, Everybody else thought it was hilarious except you. Yeah. So It was in my hair. But what was the story of that? Because I actually had to run as part of the bane of running events as we left something at home. And I had to make the like hour and 40 minute round trip to get it. So I missed whatever transpired for her to get delicious syrup on her face. Well, to go back a little bit, Amanda was the demo bottom for Mr. Black. And Mr. Black contacted me and we discussed things that uh, Amanda did not find nice and what would be torturous, but in a playful manner. It what was, was the demo for? Uh, it was for an interrogation, but working outside of the box with an interrogation. So not necessarily just pain. Cause a lot of people, when they think of like interrogation scenes, it's like, well, you make the person give in due to pain. So he wanted to do some mind fucks and some uh, major annoyances that would play into getting someone to admit a certain thing or to say a certain thing or to give some sort of information. Cause in an inter- interrogation, the object is to get the person to, give some sort of information. And in this scenario, what was the goal? Um, well, there were two. The first one, um, what he was like grilling me on was, you know, I made it to Dark Odyssey, um, I guess the year before. And I told him, you know, I, I know you had a class there and, and, and 
you know, I really wish I could have make it. I could have made it. And he said, uh, what was the name of the class? So that's, uh, that took a very long time. Weird name, by the way. I don't remember what it was, but it was like, we have ways of making you talk, like something like that. And I was like, I was thinking of all the descriptive words I could. And I was like, <laughs> horrible interrogations or extreme interrogations. So you didn't actually remember. He was grilling you on something you didn't actually yeah, remember. Yeah, because I wasn't there. Oh my God. It that's was fantastic. the day before I got there. So I didn't know what it was called. Um, and then at the very end, he made me proclaim that dogs are better than cats, which was really hard for me. It was really very. So what, what, what was the scene? What happened? It was syrup. Um, <laughs> that's the main thing I remember. Um, like every time that he would ask me something and I'd be like, I don't know, I don't know. Or I'd be like, extreme, blah, 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 blah. He'd pour syrup on my face and like on my lips and on my cheek. It got in my eye at one point and I was like, oh God, it's in my eye. And he's like, wait, let me get it for you. I was like, okay, thank you. But it only stung for a second. So, I mean, the first time I've had syrup in my eye, <laughs> it got all in my hair, got all in my hair. I didn't. And I didn't shower that night because, you know, it was it was New Year's. So when I got home, it was still in my hair and I didn't shower until the next day. And I could have sworn when I touched it, it was going to break my hair off because, you know, it gets it gets like hard. Technically, it was the same day. It was just later. because yeah. We didn't get home until New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. We, we talked we talked a little bit about the New Year's party on our Last episode, I'm assuming, because we're recording these in, in, in a batch today, but I think it's going to be the last episode that we talked a little bit about. But we do do events every so often. Um, we do the New Year's party. This is the third year we've done it. Uh, and I think we're planning on doing it this upcoming year. And it's a kinky, sex-positive play party at an awesome space, the Playhouse in Baltimore. So uh, if that sounds like something you might be interested in, you want to see people get tortured with syrup, to say that dogs are better than cats. I wish I'd seen that. Oh my God. I wish I'd seen her finally break and say dogs are better. But that or get fuck sawed like Cassie got to do to a pretty girl or um, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. Everything from rope to needle play to fire play to uh, impact and just awesome sex scenes. Yep. So uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, this is going to be the next episode because I have to say a link. So this is going to be a touch of flavor.com forward slash zero two two, a touch of flavor.com forward slash zero two two. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can uh, sign up for our mailing list and get notified. We do the new year's event. And we also tend to do, we don't do a ton of events. We do a couple of events throughout the year and they're always a great time. So you can go to uh, the show notes and sign up for our mailing list and you'll get notified uh, next time that we have an event. So we've actually got a, uh, a group of questions today. Uh, that are on poly and specifically on triads, if I'm correct. And we were specifically asked to have Amanda on. And do you want to kind of talk about how this all came about? Because I wasn't really involved in the conversation. So Kat, uh, who sent a lot of these in, was in, or at least the first couple, is in a group. And her poly group decided to send in questions I wouldn't say they're exactly just about triads, but as it, they're about closed groups. So three or four people who are in a closed group together, share their lives together, questions about relationships and things like that in regards to closed group poly. Okay. So let's, let's talk, cause you and I always get into a thing over this closed group. Uh, when you say they're in a closed group, 
because that's where these questions are coming from or from that scenario. What, what exactly do you mean? So my understanding is their quote unquote closed group is very similar to our quote unquote closed group, which is the main time and energy and relationship focus is going into that relationship that has all parties involved. They do have, from my understanding, other play partners and people they do stuff with. But as far as day-to-day relationships, it goes into that group and they don't have outside relationships that take on a lot of time and energy. And is their group like ours also not closed in the, the thing that it is actually open to new partners, both play partners and to, well, you don't know. I don't know that answer. And to new romantic partners. So I'm going to, folks, people, if you're listening, if you have a better word for this than closed group, either if there is something that exists or if you want to make one up, the best thing that I've heard is community-oriented poly. That's the closest thing I've heard. But if you have a better name for a style of poly where uh, the primary relationship is is a group of people and that's where a lot of the time and energy is focused, but it's not closed in the sense of being closed to other sexual partners or to new partners coming in or anything like that, I'd be very interested in hearing that term and finding a better term than closed poly, which is what we... we, we tend to use sometimes, but I don't feel like it's a very good invent a word. This is going to be like the new pegging. They're going to have a con like a Dan Savage style contest for the best word. There's probably something out there and I probably just don't know what it is. Yeah. Rigel and I had a very long conversation that drove Amanda bonkers not too long ago discussing what these terms mean versus how people regularly use them and such. So, uh, yeah, there isn't, as far as I know, a good term for it, but a group that's a primary group that the main energy and time focus goes into. Yeah. So if you know a word for that, let us know so we can come up with a better word and stop arguing in the car about the best way to define things. That'd be fantastic. Your, and your anyone, face, anyone, please. <laughs> I, cannot, words. I cannot take this conversation anymore. I can't do it. All right. So, but anyway, so they have a group. And so she had, she had reached out to you and initially I think just asked if we'd do an episode on it. And I think I kind of was like, well, ask her for some questions, like as to what specifically she wants answered. Yeah. Cause we've done lots of poly episodes that answer certain questions or cover certain poly topics, such as like our topic on poly and children, things like that. So it was, well, what exactly do you want answered? So her and her group got together and came up with a few questions that they felt were really important and would be helpful. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six questions from uh, her group. Um, And then we've got, depending on on how long we run with this, uh, we've got a couple more questions that we've collected from questions that have been sent in that are very group poly focused. And they had specifically asked for you to be on, Amanda. Oh, yay. Yes. So we're getting another, it's not another Ask a Unicorn episode, but it is Amanda's on the podcast episode. Yes. All right. So uh, without further ado, do you want to start with the first question? Sure. What is the best way to divide time and attention to be fair and considerate of all partners? Okay. I think with three of us, the best way to do it is just to go around in a circle. Cool. So I'll start. Well, 
with a group situation, which is, it, it, these are very different questions depending on whether you're in a group situation or more of like a, a poly, open poly network situation. In a group situation, the way that we have grown to handle it, I think is fairly simple, which is most things we try to do together, things that we, people aren't interested in doing together, we tend to try and do more when schedules naturally align when one person or the other isn't available. So maybe when somebody's at work. Uh, so like, for example, if I'm at work, Cassie and Amanda might wait, might watch a horror movie. Uh, so that has been the, the simple way that we've tried to do it is we try and do things together, things that we're not interested in doing together. We try when possible. It's not always possible, but to do just when, when the other person isn't available to begin with. And my thing is, I think I mentioned this last time, so I might be regurgitating something. Um, Google calendars. <laughs> I always have to say Google calendars because um, it kind of keeps track of where everybody's going to be for the week. Like Rigel said, uh, me and Cassie watch horror movies when he's not there. And whenever he comes back, we're like, let's watch Black Mirror. Like, because it's something that we all enjoy. And then afterwards, we're like, oh my God, mind blown. And we can talk about it. But yeah, uh, Google calendars. <laughs> And I also want to say dyad time is important. So if there's absolutely no time that you guys find that you are not able to separate the group, which first I will say, you're probably just not looking at your schedules and and life too much if that's not happening, because everybody has things going on, whether it's family, jobs, something, most likely you have time where your partners can be split up naturally. But if you don't, or you're having a hard time finding it, still making some time to be able to spend one-on-one time with each of your partners is very important. And that might be something as small as a small hobby or even being in the same house, but going off and doing something together that you enjoy. Um, There's plenty of times when Rigel's home, for example, and Amanda is home, but Amanda feels like sitting down and doing Sudoku. So me and Rigel will go off and do something else. Um, Usually have sex. Yes. Uh, But there's also times when Rigel is feeling like he wants to do his meditation and all his stuff where he wants to be off by himself. And Amanda and I will do something like crafting. So it's finding those opportunities where you can branch off and have some time to be one-on-one with your partners. All right. So the second question is, what have you learned with your previous poly experiences? Oh, is there anything that you've learned with your previous poly experiences that would have helped you in the beginning? Oh, you get to answer first this time. We're going to circle. The circle moves thusly. I think for me, the biggest thing that would have helped me out early on with my poly relationships and experiences is really not having a certain kind of relationship expectation. I went into poly very young. My first poly experience, I was a teenager. And, you know, some of my other ones were my early 20s. And I had this idea of what poly is supposed to look like. And if you read enough books and you read enough things, you'll get certain ideas of this type of structure is right. This type of structure isn't this is the correct way, or this is what a relationship is supposed to form as. Like one of the biggest myths is sort of, uh, if you're in a closed group, everybody should love and feel exactly the same way for each person. And that's just not how relationships work. Really, the goal should be everybody taking care of each other and wanting everybody to be uh, getting their needs met. 
But like that was one of them. But this idea of relationships have to look a certain way. Polly, the great thing about it is really you can, the sky is the limit as long as everybody in that situation is getting their wants and needs met most of the time. I, in my first poly relationship, I didn't know exactly what I wanted. um, And I didn't really do a lot of research. And I think it's very important to do that research, kind of touching on what you were saying. Um, But if I would have researched instead of going by what my new partners said, I probably would have been happier in the relationship that I had. And another thing I think would have been really helpful for me personally is realizing it's really, really, really important to get to know people before you decide that your relationship is a is a relationship or something that is worth saving. And what I mean by that is when you're in that beginning stages, getting to know the person that you're dating, getting to know the people that you're having a relationship with before sort of making that decision of, okay, we're in a relationship. Because sometimes those interactions should have stayed a few dates or a couple of weeks and really shouldn't have been a relationship. I'm, I'm having a hard time with the question because there's so many things. I think everything that I've learned would have helped me in the beginning. It's that whole like hindsight's 2020. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that uh, every relationship looks different and you, uh, they're, they're never going to be equal. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to have like a perfectly equal balance of things between multiple people. So you're never, you know, for example, if, if you're, if you're in a relationship with multiple people, you're always going to be more, most attracted to one person. You're always going to be most comfortable talking to this person and realizing that that's okay. I think that that's probably the, the single biggest thing I've learned along the way is that those relationships are never going to be perfectly equal in any way, but that's what makes them special. They all have their, they all have their own little idiosyncrasies and their upsides and their downsides. And it's okay for them to be different and not all be the same. Uh, the next question, Amanda, if you want to ask it is, because I know you don't have a thing, is what are common, you don't want to? Okay. I think it would just right. be easy. It's so harder. Cassie's, Cassie's going to ask the, ask the next question because Amanda doesn't have a computer to read them off of. So what are common mistakes people make in poly? Oof. Uh, well, I'll put a couple out there. Uh, the first one I just touched on, which I think thinking that everything should be equal. I think that's actually a huge one. I think there's a lot of overlap between these two questions, actually. But I'll say the other thing I, th- I think a common mistake that I see people make is uh, comparing partners and comparing relationships. I think, that's a, I think that's a big one. And we've talked about this on a couple of other episodes, but every relationship kind of stands on its own. And when you compare things, A, you're generally not fixing things with the, you need to address to the person who you're actually having things with, like, this is what I need in a relationship. This is what I want in a relationship and work on that relationship itself and not draw comparisons between the relationships that are there. Because I'm, I was a unicorn and I'm now like a domesticated unicorn. I am kind of biased here. Um, I talk more about, you know, a couple that is looking for a third because that's what well, I what's have. What's a common mistake that they make? Yeah, that's because that's the experience that I have. And uh, one of them kind of touches on the expectations of the relationship is, you know, uh, a lot of couples will go out and be like, I'm going to find this girl and we're going to have a great time and everything's going to be awesome and wonderful. And they're expected to whoever the third person is, they are expected to abide by like laws and rules and it's just not fair. So I think that uh, couples have gotten used to the relationship that they already have and they 
expect people to work around their relationship and not really let the other person be a person. (laughs) That was actually going to be one of mine is trying to fit people into boxes that you formed before they were even a part of the discussion. So I think that's one of the huge common mistakes that poly people, particularly poly people who are in groups, have these, okay, well, the two of us, the three of us, the four of us have come up with this. You as an incomer are just expected to just follow along with what we've set up. So I think a big thing is this idea of placing somebody in a box. I think another thing going along with that whole idea of placing someone in a box is looking for people to fill holes that you have in your previous relationships. So I'm not happy with X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to go out and find somebody to fix that. I'm not saying that it's not a cool idea to be able to experience different parts of yourself with different people. Like you might find somebody who has more interest in the same movies or the same thing. But if you have serious problems in your pre-existing relationships and you're looking for another person to come in and be the filler, if that person leaves or if that person doesn't reach the expectation of filling that, you're still going to have issues inside the relationships that were pre-existing. So that and also trying to fix your relationships with somebody else. I think that kind of leads right into the next question. All right. So the next question is, what considerations should be taken when adding a third to your primary relationship? Oh, I was wrong. That was that actually what you were saying ties into the question after this. What considerations should be taken when adding a third to your primary relationship? Well, first I'll say, I don't think this is specific to a third. I think it's, it's, I think anything that we say is going to be relevant to bringing any number of people into a group, whether it's a third or fourth or fifth person, sixth person, whatever the case may be. I harp on fairness a lot when, when we're talking about these things and to talk about fairness for a second, you know, I said earlier that relationships, no relationship looks the same, like nothing's equal. And it's, it's okay even to have things where, where things are uneven. Like for example, um, power exchange is a great example where one person is voluntarily in control and another person isn't, or, you know, to go and touch on our relationship where you and I have a lot more sex, you and Cassie and Amanda have a lot more cuddle time, you know, but that works for everybody involved in the relationship where I think you run into problems on fairness, touches on what you guys were actually talking about a minute ago, is when uh, a couple things. A, you make rules um, before somebody even gets there and they don't have a say in that. That's, that's a completely unfair situation to put somebody in. B, I think a lot of people, not so much when it's, it's a group who's adding another person, it's usually by then people are experienced. But if you're talking about like a couple and they're looking to add another person, uh, and especially if they're newer to poly, you know, they tend to, those rules that they make tend to be something that's completely unfair that nobody's going to be interested in. So you get the whole thing of, oh, well, you know, we're looking for a woman uh, and she's going to date only us and she's going to be exclusive to us, but she's not allowed to do X, Y, and Z sexually and she's got to leave every morning and she's not allowed to interact with the kids and we don't want her to be a part of our life. And you, you put all these things on it that are just unfair to a point where nobody's going to be interested in that type of relationship. And I think that, you know, the considerations that need to be, uh, the biggest consideration to me is building a relationship that works for everybody and isn't just set up for the people who are already in it and doesn't take into account the person or people who are coming in at all. I think it comes back to that whole thought that we have all the time, which is treat people like people. And remember that whether you are 
the third partner, the fourth partner, the fifth partner, or the first partner. We're all people. We all have needs. We all have feelings and being considerate as far as what those things are for every person in the relationship. So it really comes back to that. You get laid a lot more when you treat people like people. You also have a lot better relationships when you treat people like people. Um, Considerations that should be made when bringing in a third or fourth or fifth, however many you might have. Their schedule. (laughs) A big one would be their schedule uh, and the people that are already involved in their lives. Uh, A lot of times, you know, uh, you go into a relationship with a couple and they expect you to be around all the time or, you know, not much at all, depending on what kind of relationship. But you have to remember that these people already have previous relationships. Not with partners, but, you know, with friends, with family. Um, they still need their own time to uh, kind of embrace their other relationships as well, instead of jumping into yours and leaving everything else behind. How concerned should the third person be with existing relationship issues, and how do you navigate your issues together? You want to start, or you want Cassie to start? I'll start. Okay. How concerned should people be about... About existing relationship issues? Let's take it as two questions. How concerned should a third person be with existing relationship issues? That's the first one. I guess it depends on the issue. Uh, I think you should be concerned about any issues that are there before you are there, because it's probably going to pop up and you're probably going to be affected by it. If you can sit down and uh, kind of figure out what kind of issues they have already, um, and you can kind of gauge from there how well you handle those issues. I think the how concerned you should be really comes down to what the issue is. And once you know what the kind of the issues are going on, are the previous couple handling those things? Are they working on it? Are they seeing a coach or a therapist? Have they put things in place to deal with those things? Or is this a issue that has been rotting for 10 years and is becoming something that is an everyday topic and a huge issue? Or is it just the mild annoyance that they're working on? It's going to depend on how big of an issue it is. And really, out of all of it, isn't an issue that's going to bleed into your relationship. If it's something that isn't going to affect you, well, then don't worry about it. But most of the time, especially when you're talking about pre-existing relationship issues, you're not talking about something small. You're not talking about a mild annoyance. You're talking about something that's a big relationship problem. And at that point, you have to evaluate if this is going to be something that is going to be affecting you. And if it is, how is it being handled? Yeah, I think there's, and I mean, every every relationship has issues, first off. I, I think there's, uh, and I completely agree, it depends on what exactly the issue is. And I, I think there's a couple issues specifically to really look out for when you're talking about coming into an existing relationship. Uh, number one, obviously, is any kind of abusive or controlling behavior. That's a big problem. A huge problem, like a run the other direction screaming problem. Number two is going to be cheating, um, because that is not likely at all to change just by adding another person in. Uh, and number three is if there's any uh, any any bigger like relationship issue that's big enough that that relationship is likely to implode in the near future. And one more thing to look out for. Are they using you to fix the problem? Yeah. Well, yeah, because it, that that's you're not going to fix the problem. So that's another thing um, if they're bringing you in to fix an issue. Uh, but I will say, you know, because it's so important to know everybody has issues and it's so important to know what kind of issues you're walking into. 
This is one of those reasons that it's super important to get to know people before you tie yourself down by doing something like moving in with them or things along those lines, because there are issues there. And if you don't know what they are, you're kind of walking in blind. And it's important to know those things. The second part of the question uh, that we're just going to answer a separate question is, how do you navigate issues together in a group? Well, first off, it depends on what issue it is. If it's not your issue, if you're the person coming in, it's not your issue. It's not something you can solve. Um, and a lot of times pre-existing relationship issues are not something you should be solving. If that's the case, it shouldn't be all of you working towards it together. It should be the people who have the problems working together to fix it. If it is something that relates to everybody involved, if it's something where one particular partner has an issue and it's something that they're trying to deal with with everybody, I think the number one thing is always communication and being honest about what the issues are versus trying to cover them up. But again, making sure that you're placing issues and trying to fix things in the right dyads and in the right places. So if it's a dyad issue that really doesn't uh, affect you, really isn't something that you should be signing up for just because you're in a new relationship, that should be handled by somebody else. Yeah, I, I actually think... I think one of the hardest things in a group relationship that's kind of specific to a group relationship, you know, most, most problems are kind of span across all relationships. I think one of the hardest things in a group relationship is figuring out which issues are group issues and which issues are dyad issues. And I feel like that's one of the, the hardest things to figure out. And I don't have a fantastic answer on how to do that. Cause honestly, it's something that I find us actively working on all the time is trying to figure out which of those conversations are which. Um, I mean, I'd say as a general rule, any big life issues that affect the group uh, are going to be kind of the domain of everybody to talk about. But, you know, you, you just do need to be very careful because when another person, and this is something that we've kind of learned over the years, having, having a, another person, an unbiased person to step in on an issue can be very helpful sometimes. Like when you're talking about a therapist and things like that, like that's kind of the whole basis of it. But when you're in a relationship and somebody steps into an issue that, uh, you know, into the middle of, of a, another dyad's argument, it's very difficult for that to go well, because it's automatically going to be viewed as they're siding with somebody. And it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to, it's a very difficult thing to do well, I think. I will say that if you have a problem with somebody uh, or with something somebody's doing, that it is far better to address that with that person than it is to go and talk to the other partner about that partner and try and have them intercede that kind of triangulating things tends to work kind of poorly. I think that if you're a partner and you see something that's just really bad going on and something's going on with that, that you should address it and talk to whatever partner you're seeing it happening with. Maybe not necessarily triangling or getting into the middle, but if you're spotting things, things like that, and you have an issue with an issue that other people are having to speak up and say something. I think that's very important too. Do you guys remember with the wine? <laughs> Do you guys remember with the wine um, when uh, somebody ran out of wine and, and somebody said, that's not a triad problem, that's a dyad problem. <laughs> I find it, um, I found it very difficult um, in the beginning of many poly relationships. Many, by, by many I mean two. <laughs> Uh, it was very difficult going into a relationship that already had pre-existing problems. 
it was hard for me being monogamous before trying to figure out how to navigate those things. I found that it's really easy to listen and try to be supportive, but when something does throw up red flags, you should say something in the group setting. Most of the other advice that I would give, you know, it's one of those things where polyamory really most of the time is just monogamy with more people. Um, You know, once you figure out who's having the discussion, uh, most of the advice that I would give would be the same advice that I'd give to anyone about conflict resolution. Um, And and without going too far into it, active listening is the main thing. And uh, well, two things specifically that I found to be very helpful, one of which is uh, focusing on the solution of the problem instead of focusing on the past or what happened, because you will almost never, if you're involved in an argument, agree about what happened. The second thing is, you know, if you really do get in a spot uh, where a re- where a conversation is devolving, um, there's an exercise called um, and what else that I found can be very helpful, both with our relationship with other people. And basically it's uh, somebody somebody calls it like, hey, I want to do what else. And uh, one person talks and the other person can only say and what else and what else and what else until they're finally the, the one person's finally done speaking. Uh, And then the other person or people in the conversations each take a turn doing the same thing and talking, you know, and what else and what else and what else until they've run through everything they have to say. And then you break the conversation for a little while. Those are the two most helpful things that I've found. Um, There is a really amazing book and the name escapes me at the moment. It's something like Communication Secrets or something like that, that just has some amazing advice on communication and conflict resolution and I will, uh, I'll pull it up and I'll link it in the show notes at touchflavor.com forward slash zero two two. All right. So our next question is if rules and agreements are unethical in poly relationships. No, I mean, well, rules, first off, rules and agreements are two entirely separate things. I have the stance that rules are usually a bad idea and agreements are perfectly fine. And the reason why I take that stand is when we talk about rules, we think of rules, how we handle them with children. This is the rule. It is the end all be all. There is no changing a rule. A rule is a rule and you have to stick to it. It's sort of the law of the land versus a agreement where it's we're agreeing to do this. And if we need to revisit it, we can change that agreement. And I won't say rules are unethical by just any rule, but I will say that a lot of times when things are looked at as rules, they tend to be more unethical than agreements. Yeah, you have to distinguish rules, agreements, and boundaries, right? So the way that I view that is rules are you're going to do X, right? Agreements are we're going to, we're agreeing to do X together. And boundaries are I'm not willing to do X. There can be some kind of crossover between, I think, boundaries and rules sometimes, depending on how you're using boundaries. But in an ideal situation, that's how that works. And boundaries and agreements are perfectly fine, and healthy and rules again i wouldn't say unethical but they don't tend to build healthy relationships in my opinion when you have relationships that try and impose rules on other people and i think that's where the problem comes is most of the time when we're talking about rules it's rules that one or two people make and then other people are expected to follow and it gets more into that authoritative thing of these are the rules if you're going to be a part of this relationship you must follow these rules versus Let's create agreements around our relationship on things such as time management or 
uh, best sexual practices for those or in the anything, group. anything, really. Or anything. Um, versus this is the law of the land and you have to follow it. So pretty much you're saying rules are frowned upon or? Rules are generally, because a rule, a rule is something that you impose on somebody else. So probably think of a good example involving. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, I've seen a lot of, uh, like, because, you know, on Facebook, they have a bunch of poly groups where everybody's talking all the time. And uh, everyone says, you know, these are the rules to my relationship. So I guess if they could change that to agreement and work on it as an agreement instead of something that they have set. Yeah, I think there's probably some definition crossover there. Yeah, I was going to say, I think part of that is just uh, how people are using the words. I think that there are people who say these are the rules of my relationship and really what they are is the agreements of the relationship. And then there's people who say, I made agreements and really what you just did is make rules. But to break those two things down in a way of making it kind of easier to understand is agreements are where people come together, whoever's in the relationship, all the people in the relationship come together and talk about what is needed in that relationship and come to an agreement with the understanding that with an agreement, sometimes things change. You can come back and talk to your partners about adjusting those things. Versus a rule, which a lot of times is not everybody is a particular person putting a certain thing into place for other people. And it should never be you putting something into place for somebody else. It should it's always you be you imposing restrictions on somebody else's behavior. I mean, that's yeah. the rule at the end of the day. Therefore, not agreements good. are not unethical. They're actually probably pretty healthy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Agreements They're the are- basis for- <laughs> Basis for any healthy and, and boundaries, but there, you know, there's, there's a difference between a boundary and a rule, you know, and, and to put an easy example in a sexual context, you know, uh, a, a boundary is, uh, I'm not willing to sleep with anybody who's not using condoms with other people. Um, and that, that's, you know, my behavior, like I'm not willing to put, to do that with my safety. It's my body. I'm not going to put myself at that kind of risk. I'm not comfortable sleeping with anybody else if they're not using a condom. A rule is you have to use condoms when you're fucking other people. Or you're not allowed to fuck other people or something along those lines. And an agreement would be I'm okay using condoms with my other partners as long as you're using condoms with your partners and we agree not to have sex with each other if someone stops using condoms. Like the agreement is that we will continue to use barrier safety and in the future, if any ever th- anything was to change, we would come together and let the other person know before they had sex unknowingly with someone who wasn't using barriers. That's the difference between a boundary, a rule, and an agreement. Yeah, so yes, agreements are healthy, but you got to boundaries too. All right, so that, that took care of the questions from uh, Cat's Polycule. So we appreciate you sending those in. I think we've got a little time on the length of episode that we're happy with going with. So we're going to throw in a, a couple of other group poly questions that have come across our, uh, our Q&As in the last little bit. First one says, having issues with being poly while still military or government affiliated. We move every three years or so. We want a partner and we'd be looking for someone who was committed and willing to move. The person would have to understand the relationship would have to be hush-hush due to the job. Where should we be looking? We've been shot down by everyone we approach. I've got to start with saying I am not surprised that you've been shot down by everyone you've approached. Okay, so considering all of the conversation that we just had about being fair and, you know, problems that people have when they're bringing in a third, anybody who has to be in a hush-hush relationship 
probably is not going to be happy with it. Maybe try to look at that some other way. Try to re rethink uh, what you're asking people to do to be in this relationship. I mean, what do you guys really have to offer to a person who needs to keep their relationship on the down low? And what you're asking for is a whole heck of a lot for not a lot of return. I want someone who's going to be willing to move with me in three years, live with me, uproot their life. But by the way, you can't talk about our relationship. So you're asking a lot for not offering a lot. Maybe it might be helpful to look for poly partners who are not really that interested in a serious relationship are going to be okay with you moving. Um, Then they wouldn't be so upset about this idea of having a relationship that's on the hush-hush. But to expect someone to be with you for three years, at that point, be ready to hop in and move wherever you move to, and then still be the dirty little secret, your expectations are completely unrealistic and no wonder you're getting shot down. Yeah. And I've got to, I've got to, I've got to say, if this is all that you have going on, where you're looking for somebody to be hush hush and willing to move every three years, you're going to have an almost impossible time finding somebody. And I'm willing to bet that if that's how you're approaching it, this probably isn't the total of what you're asking for that isn't fair to this person who's coming in. Um, I could be wrong. Even if I'm wrong, you're gonna have an incredibly hard time finding that. But I'm willing to bet that there's more in its way of looking at it. You really have to consider what you're offering in return for what you're asking. And even just with what you sent in, it's not matching up to where people are going to be interested. Sure, you probably won't have a hard time finding people to fuck. But finding somebody to be in a relationship like that, you're going to probably keep getting shot down. There is a blog post that I wrote a while back called Fairness and Polyamory. Um, When it matters, when it doesn't matter. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I think that it would be uh, helpful for you to take a look at that blog it might get you pointed in the right direction. So show notes at touchflavor.com forward slash 022. Go take a look at that article. I think it would really help you guys out and get you farther in your journey as far as where you want to be. All right. Our next question is, I'm a unicorn in my triad. Our triad has planned to have a child for a long time. I am four months pregnant and now my partners don't want him or her listed on the birth certificate. What should my expectations be as a unicorn on this? Oh, Wow, Amanda, your face, your face is incredible right now. <sighs> um, I, I'm kind of speechless. I don't know what to say yet. I, uh, I don't know what to say about that. Well, well it depends. Did, um, was it a- agreed that they were going to yeah. be on the birth certificate? Well, it now- says our triads plan to have a child. I mean, I don't know specifically what the discussion was about birth certificates or things along. But it lines. was planned. Yeah. To have a child, and now you have a child in you for four months. That's, that's over what that's half, that's halfway through. And now they are backing out. Amanda's having unicorn rage. (laughs) So I'll take this for a second. I think that when you're looking at this and you're saying we've planned to have a child, you probably have had a conversation about who was going to be listed. And if you haven't, and I sometimes things get overlooked when we're all happy and joyous and making choices that are big. And sometimes we don't think about the little things, but how would you handle this in non-apoly situation? Somebody would be listed on the birth certificate. If you were in a monogamous relationship at this point where both of your partners don't want each of them on the birth certificate, my question is why, what is going on there that is making them not want to be on the birth certificate and you're talking about him or her, I'm guessing it's 
his baby, since you guys were deciding on that, if you were a monogamous person or a single person, you would list the father on the birth certificate. What it sounds like to me is they're trying to give themselves an out. If they decide that they're not happy with the relationship or the kid, I'm not on the birth certificate. I get an out. Now, granted, there's a lot of ways around that and legal processes to get you know help with taking care of your child if that was the situation. But that's what comes to mind when I'm reading this is there is something that they are trying to uh, distance themselves for some reason or other. Yeah, I, you know, the, the problem with these questions is, is a lot of time we answer them not knowing a lot of the background. And, and I do think the big question is why and, the, and, and what were the previous discussions here. Um, but, but based just on what you sent us in, it, it does sound like the, the only reason I can think of off the information that I have is it's because it's going to make it harder to demand that somebody help provide financially for the child. Uh, you know, I will say that I don't think that if he's the father, he really has a choice about whether or not you put him on the birth certificate. And, you know, I, I wouldn't would never encourage you to leverage the legal system against your agreements. But if it was agreed that he was going on this birth certificate and now you're four months pregnant, you may want to consider putting him on it anyways. But I think you need to sit down, and have a very serious discussion as to why, as to, you know, what, what they're expecting going forward. Because it sounds to me like you guys uh, have, at this point, very different ideas of what this relationship and what support for this child is going to look like in the future. And your question was, what is your expectation as a unicorn on this? And I think that's not the question. It is, what is your expectation of a mother of your partner's children? And that's the way you should be addressing this. You are a mother. You are going to be a mom. Uh, how should you be looking at it from a mother's perspective? What expectations should you have as a partner who is the mother? All right. So this question is, how do you handle your child being told your poly relationship is evil from other family members without damaging the child's relationship with those people? Well, for me... That hasn't really, I haven't really dealt with that too much because um, my parents uh, aren't really in the picture that often. Uh, They do have strong feelings on my relationship, but honestly, the kid has never heard them (laughs) from from my parents' perspective because I just don't bring them around. I don't allow it to be uh, said, um, which probably isn't healthy long term. But for right now, there's no need for... Uh, him to be talked to in a way that his relationship, uh, that his parents' relationship is evil. Yeah. So I think that this is sort of a, a couple of things. First of all, who are these family members? I think that if it is a family member who isn't necessarily the child's parent, someone that you can have a little bit more say in how they see this person, such as a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, it might be time to start being around when that when the child is with that person. So that way you can sort of control the situation. If it's uh, an aunt or uncle or grandparent who's bringing these things up, say, look, I'm going to be around. If this comes up, we're going to go home. Yeah. And I, so I think, I think this partially depends on the age of the child and how much background they have with Polly as well. If you're talking a young kid um, or a kid who's newer to Polly, I think it's going to be more damaging. If you're talking about an older child who's more experienced, like our child, um, I mean, the thing is, I could feasibly at this point in, in our lives, our, our kid's 14, 
and he's been around Polly for 10 years. And I could send him around my parents or Amanda's parents, and they could say something very Christian-y and un-Jesus-like. And uh, our kid would not take anything from it. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, if it is a younger kid or a kid, you're worried it's going to be affected. Uh, as long as it's not somebody who they absolutely have to see, like a spouse or like I, we've had a couple of situations where partners have had parents who have provided childcare. I'm a firm believer, and I keep getting more and more as life goes on and our relationships with our families go on, that you give people the amount of space in your life that they deserve. Uh, and if they're causing issues with your kid and you don't have to let your kid see them, I think either don't let the kids see them or if they can behave when you're around, like Cassie said, you supervise. Okay, uh, last question of this group poly episode. My wife and I are bi. Since it's so difficult to find a unicorn or dragon, and it seems that way for most people, should we consider dating couples and trying to build a quad? I'm actually going to start with this for just a second, because um, I'm actually very opinionated on this. I think that when, you know, we, so we, we hear this a lot from people that people have a hard time finding a unicorn or in your case, a dragon, if people don't know a unicorn is, you know, a, without going into the in-depth definitions, but a unicorn is a female looking for a couple and a dragon is a male looking for a couple. And usually both are bisexual. And yeah, usually there, there's a lot of other connotations that go with it. But I think that part of the problem, you know, when people come and they say we have a hard time finding a unicorn, I think that the fact that you are looking for a unicorn is a lot of that problem to begin with, we've always just taken the approach in the mindset of we date people we like and we're not looking for a specific type of person. And that has worked out very well for us. And we've never had issues finding people either for play or for relationships because we just take the mentality that we get out and we meet people we like. And if we meet people we like, we see where the relationship goes. And I think that that mindset is very helpful. Well, also, there's a lot of talk of dating separately. I mean, I don't know if if you guys are dating separately, but I mean, that's another way to go about it. Uh, you said you were looking for maybe another couple. I think that's going to be, I mean, I guess it's 50-50 whether or not that's going to be harder or easier because looking for one person that you both would like is already difficult. What I would say is, don't shut off either door. If you guys are both interested in possibly being in a quad because you're both bisexual, looking for another couple that's bisexual, sure, leave that door open. If you're looking for just a unicorn or just a dragon, why close that door just because it feels a little harder to walk through? And I don't think it's necessarily going to change your odds in either direction. I think really what changes your odds is how you're going about finding people what you're setting into place before finding people and how open you are to your existing relationship having changes when you're bringing someone new in. All right, folks. So thanks for joining us again today. I think I may have talked in the last episode about how we were going to be getting back to our regular posting schedule again soon. I do all our editing and stuff and my work was absolutely crazy towards the end of the year. I've now undergone a job change, which is going to make it a lot easier for us to get back on our regular schedule. And actually, we've already got the next uh, four podcast episodes edited and ready to go. Uh, everything from how not to die alone, to talking about sex and religion, to talking to a lawyer about legal advice for poly people and poly families. We will resume posting an episode every week on Monday. If you want to hear those, again, make sure you subscribe to the show. We'd love to have you. And we'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. Are we recording yet? Yeah, I just picked it on a minute ago. That sounded really painful. Are you okay? Ow. I'm folding my hands. That'd probably be a good thing for you to do, too. Yeah, not talk with my hands. I, my hands are folded. Yeah, but my you, hands are are in my lap. you are physically disgruntled from not I, moving. I, I can see it on your face that I you know. are having a lot of problems not moving. I am. I am. It's yeah. true. Amanda, can you give me a, you're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 22. You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 22. Got that phone sex voice going. Mm. Episode 22 in my mouth. <laughs> you do have a phone sex voice when you try. Well, yeah, when I try, I can.